the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. This is where we mash up the best of the week. We take our interviews from Tuesday and Thursday, what those episodes were. We take those highlights. We put them together all here in one convenient place for your listening pleasure. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoy what we put together here for you guys. And if you want to go back and listen to these interviews in their entirety, you can do that right here where you're listening as it is. Um, So anywhere you guys are listening to podcasts, you can go back and find those full length interviews. But otherwise we've, uh, we've done a little bit of heavy lifting for you and gave you guys some of the highlights from what, from what you want to hear. But you know, we're so lucky with all the amazing guests that we have on oral sessions that I'm sure if you're fans of these people, you're going to want to go back and hear more of their story here, more of who these people are and what makes them tick and what has led to their success, all that fun stuff. Um, I love what I get to do here and I love getting to chat with all these interesting and fascinating people. It's a hell of a time. And yeah, now we just get to do a little best stuff here on the weekend. So here we go. Let's get into it. Here's the best stuff from this week on Oral Sessions. First and foremost, what is the status of your shoulder right now? I'm cleared. I'm, I'm good to go. Um, I think at this point, it's just like a maintenance thing just to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But uh, I, feel, I feel good. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very strange thing because it's my first injury like this. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. though. So run me through what happened, because I mean, I just like even me at the beginning of this being like, oh, it's been a while because we were like scheduled to do this. And then you had the injury and we weren't really sure what was going on with you. So run me back to what happened with this injury and everything that kind of happened with AEW. I know that it was super confusing to everybody. And I think it was even more confusing. uh, And I didn't even realize this um, until like literally the other day uh, when I watched it back for the first time. But you couldn't even tell that I got hurt in the match. It happened right in the middle of me being in there for the time that I was in there. So it was it was during a move that I hit, you know, hundreds and thousands of times. And it was just one of those things where timing was just completely screwed and gravity and weight just didn't agree with <laughs> with my body. And I separated my AC. Um, kept going on in the match. And then when I got eliminated, uh, I was already planning on just laying there to soak in the moment. But when I decided to get up, it was like something wasn't connected with my brain to my arm. And I just couldn't, my arm couldn't move. Uh, And I freaked out immediately. And I called somebody over to me and told them that I couldn't pick up my arm. So they carried me out and Um, I didn't really know that I separated anything. I thought it was just like a bruise or I thought it was just whatever. I'll put some ice on it. I'll wake up and I'll be fine. But, you know, as I was talking to Tony after the match, I just couldn't stop thinking about how bad my shoulder hurt. Um, and it it sucked. Yeah. I got the MRI and that's when I figured out that, you know, I was going to be out for, for a period of time. Yeah. So what was the conversation that you had with Tony? Cause at that time you had signed with AEW, right? So actually that night when I came back through Gorilla, he had offered me a contract right there, but it was just such a surreal thing because it was just so much going through my head, like in that, in that moment, like I couldn't even fully focus on, you know, what Tony was telling me, you know, I was in so much pain 
Um, I was wondering if I was okay, if I was even able to, you know, take this deal. And, you know, I was going through, I was going through a lot of things, you know, personally at the time that um, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll talk about. I was going through a lot of personal things at the time and it made me, it made me just think about everything. And um, I just knew that I couldn't make that decision right then and there. So I just waited until I got um, back home to LA and, you know, got my MRI and just tried to make a decision from there. I mean, I can't imagine that was an easy decision to come to. I mean, having the injury on top of everything can at least kind of steer you in one direction. What kind of went into the thought process of decide, like when you had decided that you were going to retire from professional wrestling? I mean, for anybody that's listening to this, that, that hasn't really followed my career all that much. I started wrestling and training when I was 17 years old, got signed to Ring of Honor when I was 19, got signed to WWE when I was 22. Uh, but all during this time, you know, I had my first son when I was 18 years old and I never stopped moving. Uh, I was always, I was always pushing forward and I wasn't home as much as I would like to be. There was times where, you know, I had guilt for not being the dad that I always dreamt of being, you know, even when I was signed to WWE, I had my second son, but of course, you know, that schedule is even more happening. And, um, you know, there was, there was a lot, and, you know, my personal life was starting to take a turn for the worst. And I, I saw the trajectory in which it was going, I think during that time when I got released from WWE and I got put on the challenge for MTV and uh, I was doing a bunch of uh, stuff for New Japan and AAA and um, MLW. I mean, it looked like my career was like flourishing, but during the pandemic, we all had to work, you know, twice, four times as hard to try to, you know, make up for financial losses that we had uh, during the pandemic. So I was, I wasn't home even more. And then my wife, <laughs> you know, got pregnant and um, that put a lot of uh, thought in my head, you know, and I had with my frustrations with just the business in general, and it was a lot going through my mind. And uh, to me, ultimately came down to, did I want to go after, you know, and continue to push my dreams and, and, and hopefully become, you know, in this position or be in a position financially that, you know, I might put myself in or, you know, and if I do take that, what does my personal life look like? You know, and I just wasn't willing to risk that. I wasn't willing to, to jeopardize, you know, my family anymore. Uh, I wanted to be a, a, a dad. I wanted to be a husband. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to be in that position when, I mean, your livelihood is being on the road and it's wrestling. And, it's, you know, I mean, I know you've got a million different things that are constantly going on, but trying to strike that balance between, you know, a happy, normal, air quotes, personal life and this entertainment world. It's really hard to try to, like, strike that balance and figure all that out. So, I mean, I commend you for being able to take the time away and sorting yourself out and wanting to, to come back. What were some of the frustrations that you were having with uh, with the wrestling business leading up to this? I don't like to complain about a lot. I'm I'm the kind of person that, you know, if I don't like really agree with something or if I don't go with something, I'll just say, you know, fuck it. I'm just whatever. It's whatever. I don't care that much to put that much energy into it. But it came down to a point where like within wrestling, I think I got a lot thrown at me very quickly. And the only thing that I knew how to do was, you know, adapt and adjust who I was and what I was used to, to try to fit within that, you know, space that I was in. But I don't think a lot of people agreed with that. I think I had a lot of anger in me. I had a lot of resentment 
early in my career, I didn't really understand, you know, why people felt certain ways. And it's okay to, to feel a certain way because I get it. I understand that this is a hard business. And, you know, sometimes you have guys that spend, you know, 10, 15 years, you know, putting everything into it and some don't get out what they put in and I get it and it hurts. It sucks. And, you know, I can understand even somebody like me because I'm not the only one, but you see guys that, you know, they'll get signed or they'll get pushed in a way where you wish that that was you or you wish that you had that kind of momentum behind you. So I just think I got thrown a lot at me pretty quickly and politics played a huge role. And I had a lot of people, you know, try to tear me down. I had a lot of people, you know, try to, um, I don't know, get a, get ahead of the curve away. What was sort of like the preconceived notion of you, in your opinion? I think a lot of people thought that I was super cocky. And that honestly hurt me to my core. It sucks when that's the stigma like about you. Um, and I think I think me, I'm just a very driven person. I'm very driven. I'm very confident in my abilities. I know what I'm capable of, as you know, everyone else does. I think a lot of people thought that I was I was cocky, and which wasn't the the case at all. You know, I just believe in myself so much. I'm a self motivated kind of person. You know, I, I like speaking things into existence. I like you know saying that I'm going to do something and then doing it. You know, not for anybody else, but for me. I think also a lot of people don't take into account that there is a such thing as introverts and extroverted people within the wrestling company. <laughs> sure. I always went there, you know, work. I had, I had other things to think about. So it's not like I was going to work to try to make friends. And, you know, obviously friends are great, but that's not my number one priority. I don't know. I, just, I was just in a very unfortunate, hard position and I can see why things went the way that they did for me. But at the same time, it does suck. Were there ever conversations that you were having um, with, you know, higher ups in the company to try to change that ideal that people had of you in their minds? Like, did they try to get you to change or to try to like, you know, change that perception of you? I remember, and I could be a slightly wrong, but the two instances that I remember, one was Bobby, because I was working with him every week and we would talk all the time. And he knew me better than, than anybody did. I mean, he knew what kind of person I was. He knew my, my values and, you know, my morals and everything like that. But one person that I didn't really talk to all that much, but saw me from afar and, you know, he expressed that he was a fan of me, uh, was Xavier Woods. I remember he put me in a room. He was just talking to me. He just wanted to know, you know, what I was thinking, like how I was as a person and how I can, you know, maybe better assist people warming up to me in a way. What a Woods thing to do. <laughs> That's so cool that he did that, um, you know, because it was real. It was genuine. We didn't talk about wrestling. Like, it was just like, how are you? But I think the overall aura of like backstage WWE is just a little, it's a little difficult for me, at least, especially when you just want to do your absolute best every week and you just want to work. You just want to you know, make a name for yourself. Yeah, it's hard to not have those politics kind of get in the way it can be. I don't want to say it's like very high school. I think that's sort of like a, a bleak way to put it. It's not that it's that, but I think we're all around each other so much that if it does feel like one person is pushing against that grain, it's a bit like, wait, who's this person? What are they doing? Why are they trying to change the way things are that it can it can be received kind of poorly? There are positions within that company that, you know, can highly affect uh, your finances. And a lot of people want that. 
a lot of people, uh, a lot of people want to be in that position and every, and not everybody can be. Uh, so I think it creates a lot of, uh, you know, hostility and, and a lot of unnecessary tension. What were some of the conversations? I mean, I know I saw now that you are signed with AEW and you're back in the wrestling world, but you posted a picture with Mark Henry. What were some of the conversations that you had with Mark and what is your relationship like with him now? Me and Mark Henry. This is so amazing. I'm so glad that you asked this because you're, <laughs> you're the first person to ask this. Uh, me and Mark Henry's relationship is super cordial now. I think it came down to two very strong personalities and two very different eras of wrestling. And I think we just kind of like agreed to disagree and we're about to be working together now. And, you know, AEW is such a incredible place to be. And um, it would be foolish of us to carry on any kind of whatever it was, because it was, it was pretty random and wild, but I want to take you back to the, the first time I was in AEW. Take me back. Let's go. <laughs> the first time I meet Tony Khan, uh, I remember I was walking backstage and I was trying to meet Tony Khan in person for the first, for the first time. And somebody had told me that he was in his office and I'll never forget. It was like a movie in a scene. Like I open up the door a little bit and I see Tony Khan and then I open up even more and I see Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, out of all time like why now but i'm glad that that hey, happened that way because you know tony knew about you know the little issues that we had together and he said that we should probably you know talk it out which we you know we all agreed uh and we talked a little bit during that night but then i saw him again the other week and it was me coming down the hotel elevator and i open up the elevator and there's mark henry just solo in the elevator and i'm like all right great destiny <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we uh we started talking and then, you know, later on in the night, we figured that we should take a picture because I thought that that was a just a pretty cool thing in itself that we were even able to have a conversation and I thought it would be cool for everybody to know that we, you know, we kind of had that conversation and squashed it. So. Well, good. See, you got to just have these conversations face it. I mean, Mark, I feel like once he, when he has his mind made up about something, he definitely wants to to let you know about it and he wants to step in and, and have those conversations. So it's cool that you guys were able to, to get together and actually hash some of that stuff out. Um, so your time away from wrestling, when you had put out that you were going to retire to where you're at now, what was, what kind of happened in between that window? Wow. Uh, so much, so much that I would say that it was, I mean, just life-changing. During that time, uh, like I said, I was going through so much personally. Um, I think my mental health was, you know, in a place where, you know, I haven't seen in a long time. And that, and that was scaring me a little bit. And did this all stem from the injury? It did. More so? Yeah, okay. I think, I think it stemmed from the injury. Uh, but even before that, you know, with the pandemic and everything and, you know, knowing that my wife was, you know, going to have a, a baby while I got released, you know, from, from my, from my job, um, it opened my eyes to so much with me just being so go, go, go since I was 18 years old. Um, I never stopped. I never stopped. I never stopped. I never stopped working. And this injury kind of forced me to stop. It forced me to sit down. It forced me to think, uh, think about, you know, what I've done. Think about what I want out of life. Think about, you know, who I am and why I am the way that I am. 
I think I put myself in a position to do something a little bigger than, than wrestling. I think the overall goal for me is so much bigger than wrestling. I have an opportunity to do something special in my opinion and in my eyes that, that hasn't been done before. Uh, somebody of my age, somebody of my skin color, somebody that is trying to do music in a mainstream way uh, while being a wrestler at the same time. I think I have a story that is uh, unheard of and that's not like anyone else, uh, you know, being 26 years old and having so many responsibilities, uh, but also, you know, um, excelling in a profession that is pretty hard for someone of my age and my skin color. And I've had so many dips in my career and so many times where, you know, people have like counted me out. And I thought, you know, for a split seconds, you know, that it was it was over for me, but I picked myself back up and and I kept going. Um, I think. I didn't realize that I had such an influence on this younger generation of wrestlers. And I had a lot of people around me who cared and and loved me enough to, you know, tell me all of the things, you know, that I've done and, uh, and, and what I can do to continue to motivate and inspire and, and move uh, people around me. I'm doing this for myself, for sure. But I'm also doing this. I'm doing this for so many other people. Um, you know, my family, my, my fans. And I think I undercut the whole term of I'm so appreciative of my fans and I wouldn't be without my fans. I think a lot of people say that, but I think it has never been so true. Uh, I don't think I would be here if it wasn't for the people that, you know, are, were supporting me and who's been in my corner since day one. And even the people who, who don't like me, I think I have the, the, the capability to be an impactful person. And I think that that's a good thing in the wrestling world. Well, Leo, thank you so much for finally coming on Oral Sessions, getting to tell some of your story. I think it's uh, I think it's really cool for people to hear uh, to hear your perspective and hear all the things that you've been through. And now uh, excited to see you show up in AEW and whichever other promotions you may just show up on. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really for the first time in a long time. I'm really, really looking forward to what's to come. I think you have a lot more people rooting for you than you think. Thank you. Um, okay, I would like to jog things back because um, I've, I have I usually do a lot of my research on wikipedia.org. And I read on there that you got a lot of your inspiration for Slipknot through the trailer for the movie Halloween. Is this true? And can you elaborate? My fascination with Slipknot can kind of be traced back to that. First of all, it's my favorite movie of all time. Have you seen the newest one yet? I have. Well, I've seen, I saw the 2018 one. I haven't seen Halloween kills yet. I haven't seen that one yet. My mom, when I was a kid, took me to see Buck Rogers, which I don't know if you remember that one. I it's don't. The, the disco space movie. Everybody's in like satin <laughs> and weird. And my mom was like, well, this is kind of like star Wars. I'm sure he'll like this, you know? But here's the thing, like that was the movie that we were going to see in front of that movie was the trailer for the first Halloween. I can remember vividly the feeling that I got when I watched that trailer. I didn't care about Buck Rogers from Adam. All I want to do is see that movie. It took a couple of years before I could even see it because I was so young. I was about five at the time when I, when I came out, but I was mesmerized by it. And just the, the vision of Michael Myers, very stark, quiet, very imposing, didn't have to do anything, didn't have to say anything. 
And just the fact that that mask was just so dead. Haunting. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you saw that in real life at the end of an alley, I mean, I can handle myself, but nope, I'm (laughs) gone, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Though I will say definitely brought fashion to the forefront in the sense that everybody loves a good utility suit these days, but still. I can't take credit for what Slipknot started doing at the time because I joined two years later. Stone Sour was actually a, a band before Slipknot happened. So when they asked me to join, I actually left Stone Sour to join Slipknot. And when I joined, the mentality I remember finding myself being fascinated by was, I don't know if it was intimidation, but it was definitely the wonder that comes with the unknown. We were never truly violent except to ourselves. You know, like we were always messing with each other on stage. I mean, we have the famous thing that flip for the punch in the face where we flip a quarter and, you know, whoever lost the day, they got you know, smacked, you know, we used to set ourselves on fire. We would find the tallest things that we could find and jump off that. I mean, Sid to this day has to walk with a cane because he's done oh so Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were ECW for metal fans. Yeah. You know? I mean, <laughs> yes, that's what we were. ECW, babe. There was a lot of art to it. There was a lot of passion. There was a lot of mystery. And essentially what we were trying to do was build something that scared people, fascinated people, that people could also respond to and relate to in a weird way. That's why my lyrics have never been campy. They've never been overtly, you know, horror themed or anything like that. It it was always more about the art than it was about the arson. And I think that's why people responded to it because there was a truth to it in a crazy way because everybody else was so animated and so very good at what they were doing. My truth became using the mask to show that side of me that doesn't really get necessarily get a chance to show itself because I'm pretty upbeat. I like hanging out, like talking shit, you know, but there's also a side of me that deals with issues that I grew up with. And this gave me a vehicle for that. So I kind of tied back to seeing Michael Myers in those shots and the fact that it wasn't, he wasn't overtly violent. He would just come towards you with a purpose. He would come towards you with a mission. And that's how I responded. So it was very much bursts of energy, you know, kind of going from a cold stop into boom, flashpoint. That's the inspiration I took from that. And it wasn't even the movie itself. It was just that trailer. Because there's just so much, it's almost the inactivity in that trailer that I was fascinated by, you know? To me, that's always the best thing in horror movies. Uh, Any kind of, anything that has to do with scaring the crap out of you. I love the stuff when you're left with your own imagination. And that's what it is. It's those pauses and letting yourself, like, I hate when I'm watching something and you actually like do get the payoff of seeing the like goblin or whatever. I'm like, no, I want my mind to like imagine what it is because that's always, Sort of the better payoff, but yeah, no, I I get that 100%. So that leads me into talking about Bad Candy. What a movie. Oh my God. How much fun did you have doing Bad Candy? I had a blast. I mean, it was literally two days. I was only there for two days. Me and Zach just hanging out, 
having a blast, you know, like we just hit it off really quick, man. And we worked really well together. I was a, I, I believe I was a last minute replacement for somebody, but it was also on a very short list of people that they actually wanted. See, I assumed you just would say like, Hey, I'm Corey Taylor. I want to be a part of this movie. And then you're just like brought in there. Very rarely do I even go and test for anything. Like I usually I'll just get hit up. They're like, and because of my schedule, it's usually just a, like a small part of whatever. Cause when I did fear clinic, that was two weeks. And that was like the most I'd ever really fleshed out a character period, you know, and I just pretended to be one of my mom's ex-boyfriends from the eighties. You know, that was, that was all I really needed, you know, but with bad candy, it was easy because I had a radio show, you know, I had my show that I had on Apple music and it was very much just finding the beats and, you know, and, and kind of tapping into the the timbre that goes into, Hey, this is Jilly Billy <laughs> coming at you, you know, just kind of you're hamming that up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then just having fun with it, you know, and and the whole crew, because it was essentially just me and Zach, like everybody else had already shot their stuff. So we were really the bookends. Because the rest of it is all very elaborate. I feel like the rest of it must have taken forever to shoot. There's so much going on. They had shot all of that before he and I even showed up. So what they did was they just so that way they could spend two days just shooting us and tying all of the stories together, which was great because then we realized, and they were showing us stuff that already shot so we could react and I could talk about these things in in a way where I could really see it. And that helped so much, you know, and they let us kind of riff on each other as well. And and they left a lot of that stuff in there. Acting is just getting to hang out with somebody and pretend you're somebody else. I mean, that's really it for me. Like, I'm not trying to win any awards or anything. I'm just having fun. (laughs) I love that. Um, Okay. (laughs) Because we are getting close to All Hallows Eve, um, your favorite scary movies? Obviously, the aforementioned Halloween, the 78, Halloween 78, sticking with John Carpenter, The Thing from Dust Till Dawn. It was probably one of my all time favorite movies because it's just, it's so crazy in the beginning and yet goes absolutely batshit towards the end. I saw that like six times in the theater. Like it was just so rad. I absolutely loved it. Let's see. It's weird because I, I keep cutting up, I keep cutting up horror into different genres as well because there's like sci-fi horror. There's uh there's gore horror. Uh, there's supernatural thrillers. I mean, there's like so many different things. I'm always partial to like, I love a good exorcism. I love a good demon. Um, ghosts, ghosts are what get me. I like that oh, sort yeah. of like reality based, like, holy shit, this could happen scenario. Right, right. That's where I like to live. Which leads me to number four, Hereditary. That movie affected me so bad. I can't watch it again. Like that's how, because my wife and I, me and Alicia, we were laying in bed and she goes, have you seen Hereditary yet? I was like, no, let's watch it right now. And we put it on. I don't think we were prepared for what we were about to deal with. Because I mean, we're seriously laying in the bed like. (laughs) (laughs) It was so off-putting, dude, that I to this day, I think about it and just that Tony Collette's eyes can just make me just like Tony Collette's fantastic. She is one of the best actors I've ever 
scene. Like it's criminal that she doesn't have more awards, man. She is one of those actresses that no matter what she's in, I'll watch it. Right. She has like I'm that star power of Absolutely. like anything she's in, I'm in, I will watch it 100%. The fact that she can go from that to Knives Out, I mean, it's which is another one of my favorite movies. It's so good. Did you ever watch United States of Terra? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so oh, great. So rad. Okay, so now what else? What else do you got? Aliens, the second one. It's so good, and it's so fast that for a kid who loved horror, but then also loved spaceships and phaser guns and all that crazy crap, I was like, you had me at Monsters. I mean, let's do this. And it's the far superior movie in the in the fleet. And I don't watch anything past it. Like I go to one and two, those other ones don't exist. In fact, I don't even know what you're talking about. There are no other alien movies, not at all. If you want to talk about horror comedy, Hot Fuzz, it's so good. And people don't realize that it's a slasher movie. It's a proper slasher movie, man. Like it's insane. I'm like, this is amazing. How is this not the, the greatest movie of all time? The jokes are so funny. The casting is great. And that Simon Pegg is an action hero. I'll take that all day. All day. I'm here for it. Okay. So you are a man that has seen some things, done some things. You've toured the world. Have you ever seen a ghost? Oh, dude, I wrote a whole book about it. My second book, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Heaven, is all about my experiences with the supernatural. Essentially, I wrote the book trying to make peace with the fact that I'm a a very clear atheist, and yet I've experienced things that I can't understand. So it's me shooting at it, honestly, from a very scientific point of view and trying to understand the energy of the soul and how that can imprint onto our memories and when we pass in a certain way, or if it's just because we pass those memories and print themselves onto the soul. And that becomes what the it, it's, I mean, it's a whole thing. I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now. And I, I'm Amazon priming this as soon as we get off this zoom. Aside from the fact that I suck at writing, it's, it's actually a pretty good book, but yeah, I mean, I've, uh, you know, for a long time, I had a lot of experiences with, just things that I, I couldn't understand. I'd seen things, I experienced things. And I think it was because these things were attracted to the energy that I have, which is something else I talk about in the book is the incredible attraction that certain energies have towards each other. And they try to bundle together. And that's one of the reasons why maybe sometimes houses aren't haunted, but people are. This is my fear because John and I just bought a house in Cincinnati. It is built in 1880, old as shit. So I did not know that Cincinnati is apparently like a mega haunted town. I had no idea because it's so old. There's so much history there. So I love this stuff. I love reading about ghost things. I love a good ghost tour. I'll, I lean in. John backs the fuck out. He hates it. Hates it. This is all brand new of us, like getting this house and whatnot. But he was like, if that house is haunted, we're leaving. He's like, but you bring that on. He thinks I bring the ghosts on because I'm interested in it. He might not be wrong, though. I I know. Yes, I know. He might not be wrong. What do I have to like sage myself? What do I do? I've experienced this myself because I kind of closed myself off to it. 
after a while because so much weirdness was happening in my life. What was some of the weirdness? A lot of things were starting to freak out my kids. I mean, it was very physical. There was one time I came home from tour. Was this in Las Vegas? No, this was actually my old house in Iowa. And these spirits that I'm talking about, I believe, attached themselves to me from the house that I had lived in before that house, which was built in 1905. And many people had been in and out of the house. So by the time I bought it, it was actually already a hundred years old. So there were many generations of things going on at the time. There were a ton of gnarly things going on in that house. And then when I went to the other house, these three younger spirits, I think, attached themselves to me and followed me because I was a father, because of that energy that I carry with myself. They liked the fact that I was very protective. They would act up a lot, especially if I'd been gone for a while. I would come home and I'd be the only one in the house. And I would go up into my son's room when he would be at his mom's house and all of his books would be stacked in the middle of his room. Shut up. I would put them back. I would go back downstairs and I swear to you within 10 minutes, I would come back up and they would be there again. Oh my God. And that's just one little thing. Some friends of mine came over when I wasn't there. I was gone on tour, but they thought I was home and nobody else was in the house. They came over, the light was on, which it wasn't when I left. The lights were on, which is one of the reasons why they stopped. And my house was a split level. So through the front door, you had windows on each side, like long rectangular windows on each side of the door. And then through that, you could see the staircase, which was directly behind the door. So you couldn't see it unless you kind of did this. Staircase went up to the second floor. Because it was a split level, there was a little bit of a gap between the ceiling in the staircase and the last stair through that was the second floor, basically. So they're ringing the doorbell and ringing the doorbell and they can hear footsteps inside. And they said that they they went to the side to see if they could see anyone and get somebody's attention because we didn't have curtains there at the time. And they saw small patent leather shoes run in that gap, like children's feet. Oh my God. And they called me and they said, Hey, are you home? It looks like there's people inside. And I said, what are you talking about? Like I was in Europe and there was nobody else at my house, but because that was going on, it was actually encouraging more chaotic energy around me. Cause it was like kind of getting attention too. Right. Exactly. And there was real tumultuous, toxic things going on in my life from my previous relationship. And that was stirring up and it was just, there was a lot going on. So when I left that relationship, I really made a conscious effort to clean up all of my energy because of the way I would react when I would think about that person and think about all the other people that were in her life. And I think because that happened, it deadened a lot of the energy that I put out. I spent less time at the Iowa house because I was living in Vegas because of my youngest daughter. And I think because of that, slowly but surely, they either attached themselves to somebody else or they dissipated because there was nothing to re-energize. Oh my gosh. Because of that, 
I've had less and less real encounters. And it's not because I don't want to, it's because I have my answers. I have experienced it. And now I don't, I don't need to seek it out. You know, like when it happens, I embrace it. I'm like, okay, but my energy has changed in such a way that I'm not like almost unintentionally looking for it, reaching out for it. So do you have any suggestions to cleanse a house coming into it? What do you do? Do I save it? Do I like, what do I do? Sage, I think is more for your energy than it is about the house. However, as your energy changes because you believe you are using that in that way, I think that contributes to the fact that you are spreading positive energy through that place. But you could do that with anything, really. You could walk around with one of those 70s conical incense things that always smelled like a clove cigarette and just be like, all right, I bless this house. I know it's smelly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I really hope that I'm not the one bringing the energy, but I think John might be right. And I feel like you've just confirmed it. But here's the thing. Changing that doesn't mean that you lose the sensitivity. It just means that you're stopping the invitation. Um, I mean, I feel like I could sit here and talk to you all day, but I know that you're on tour and you're taking time out to chat with me. I really appreciate it. I'm going to order your book right now. And when can people see you on tour and where do people get bad candy? I believe bad candy you can find on almost all the streaming services. I know you can get it on Vudu. So that means you probably get it on Amazon and whatnot. People can see us on the NotFest Roadshow. Um, you can find dates at notfest.com. I'm fairly certain I have the dates up on my website as well, thecorytaylor.com. Or just, you know, just kind of look on your, your local newspapers and whatnot. We're usually coming around. Well, you better believe that when you get out here, John and I are coming out to a show. I'd love to have you guys out, man. It'd be rad, you know? Well, I'd, I'll introduce the wife, man. We'll have a good oh, time. Oh, that would be great. It won't be in a Target parking lot this time. We'll get to actually have a little hang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Very ah, cool. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for hanging out with me on this special edition of the best of for oral sessions. We just mash up the best from the week, let you guys get the little highlights. You can go back and listen to the full length episodes. Should you choose to do so? I highly recommend it because there's some good stuff in there. It's really hard to cut these down because these chats can be so great. We, we, we really do have the best guests come on here and hang out. And I, I love being able to do that here on the show. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. You can go back and listen to more of the episodes. You can also watch these interviews on our YouTube page. You can just search Renee Paquette, search for the volume network, and you'll be able to find all the things. We've got the short clips. We've got the full length interviews. Find them all on there. Like, subscribe, share, turn on the notifications, all that good stuff. We'll see you guys next time on Oral Sessions. 